Amen. Amen. He's mighty to save, isn't he? I'd like to see him save someone this morning, wouldn't you? I love the Sundays leading up to Christmas. I, I hope you've got your shopping done, and maybe you can have some time just to focus on Christ. I'd like for us just to take a, a few minutes this morning and focus on Christ, what he did for us in coming. Uh, I want to tell just a, a quick one on Mike Stork. Uh, you know, he's only got a few more weeks as chairman of a deacon, so I think I can go ahead and tell him on this. But uh, I heard last Christmas Eve he hadn't got Mary Ann anything, and he would saw those commercials from Jared, and he thought he'd go to Jared's. And he went in there, and uh, he saw these nice earrings. He asked about them. She pulled them out, the sales lady did, and they were $800. And he said, oh, that's too expensive. And so she looked around. She found another pair. She pulled them out, and they were $400. And Mike said, oh, dear, those are still too much. And it was Christmas Eve, and the lady was busy, and she was getting a little impatient with Mike's frugalness. And, and so Mike said, I, I just I like something really cheap. And, and so the... The sales lady politely reached under the counter and pulled out a mirror for him. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I hope none of you men are like that. Last week we talked about the promise, or two, a couple weeks ago, the promise of his coming that we found in Genesis 3.15, that the offspring of the woman would come and crush the head of Satan. Uh, last week, the pathway, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. Jesus had a very humble birth. Uh, the angels announced it to the lowly shepherds. And, uh, and then the greatest miracle in human history was when the eternal Son of God stepped out of heaven uh, into the womb of a virgin named Mary. And so this morning I want us to consider the particulars of Christ's coming. And I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Just one verse this morning. Will you stand and we'll honor God's Word? Uh, just... We're a little over halfway of our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and so I'm excited we're going to get that, and uh, so you give. We've got a couple more weeks to, to give to that. All that goes to send our missionaries, support our missionaries. Uh, they're taking the name of Jesus around the world, and so you give sacrificially for that, if you will, and uh, we'll, we'll meet that go for the glory of God. So verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Father, we pray today for just a few moments we can think about what you gave up for us. And may we just be filled with wonder at the thought that, that God would step out of heaven and come and save a bunch of sinners. May we be humbled. And may we be drawn to worship. May the lost be saved. May the saved be encouraged to serve you. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to accomplish your purposes through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we use uh, big words sometimes in the church, and sometimes we don't explain them. The, the word incarnation, uh, we talk about that at Christmas, and that's a Latin meaning becoming flesh. Incarnation, it's a word that theologians use to explain how the eternal Son of God entered human history in flesh as the God-man, Jesus Christ. And uh, when we think about the incarnation, one of the things I always wonder is why God would uh, come as a man, and especially knowing how he would be treated when he came as a man. J.I. Packer has described the incarnation 
the, the coming of Christ as the supreme mystery associated with the gospel. Now, we know that the incarnation is expressly taught in scriptures. Uh, one particular in, in, in particular, one scripture in particular is John 1.14. The Word became flesh. And if we go back to verse 1, the Word uh, was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. But verse 14, the Word, which is talking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled. The Word is tabernacled. He, he dwelt among us. And there were people who got to behold the very glory of God in the person of Jesus. They beheld His grace and truth. And so uh, Jesus came. I don't know if there's a better explanation for the mystery of the gospel and what Jesus accomplished for us than 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Uh, I describe this verse as kind of like a multifaceted diamond. Uh, it's so many uh, it's so beautiful, and you can look at it from so many different ways. It's In the Greek, it's just 21 words. It's pretty simple. You don't even really need the preacher to explain this verse, uh, and yet it's so uh, impactful. And so Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we talk about grace a lot. It's God's unmerited favor towards us, God giving us what we don't deserve. We know that God is completely holy. We know that we are sinners, and yet Jesus would leave the glory of heaven to come and to save a wretch like me. And when I think about that, I just say, wow, I think one of the problems in the church today is we've gotten over the wonder of it all. Uh, we hear it and say, oh, yeah, he came to it. No, God would step out of heaven and come to save a sinner. Aren't you amazed by what Jesus would do for you? I hope you are. Wednesday night we were in Philippians chapter 2 and just, just thinking about this verse, listen to this, Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Anybody struggle with that? Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now there's just two verses and those are hard because we care more about ourselves often than we do others. And by, by nature, we're selfish, or I am. How do we do that? And then we're reminded that Jesus great gave us the supreme example of considering others more than himself. And he put that into action by coming to earth and taking our sins. And it's just uh, amazing. And so this verse, verse 9 of, of 2 Corinthians 8, just gives us a glimpse of the depth to which the grace of God would lead Jesus to stoop on our behalf. And, and when we think about it, it's, it's magnificent. It's glorious. It's amazing. It's unimaginable. Indescribable. It's, it's grace. And Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Lord Jesus Christ. Not often we find all three of those together. It's almost as if it's kind of the full name of Jesus. Last week we said, Jesus means the Lord is salvation. The angel said you'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. That's what salvation is. Christ means the anointed one. Uh, he is the promised Messiah and King. Uh, the Jews were looking forward to his coming. He is the one from the line of David who would come and deliver his people. And so as we consider this morning the particulars of Christ's coming, I, I thought we would start with uh, the preexistence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Jews were looking forward to a Messiah who would come and deliver them. And we know that Jesus was that Messiah. Paul here, though, also refers to him as Lord. 
And uh, in, the, in the New Testament, there are hundreds of times where Jesus is referred to as Lord, and that title is the Old Testament equivalent of Jehovah, which is really the highest title and name ascribed to God. And what it does is it reminds us that Jesus Christ was and is and always has been God. He's eternal God. And so as we consider the pre-existence of our Lord Jesus Christ, first let's consider his person. Who, who is this Jesus? And the, the who is he is eternal God. And this is important. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. When we talk about the Trinity, we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus is the second member. He is God, the eternal Son of God. And uh, he, he didn't come into existence when he was born. He's always existed. Now, there are some Jehovah Witnesses and others who will say that he was created. No, Jesus is eternal God. He's, he's without beginning or end. He has always existed. If you're a parent, you know that there's usually an occasion when your child will say, well, where was I before I was born? And sometimes we say, well, you was in, in the womb, and, but where was I before then? Well, we never say, well, you always existed because that's not true. But it is true for Jesus. He always existed. He must be eternal. And we know that he is indeed the eternal son of God. And so at his birth, the eternal son of God became the God-man, Jesus Christ. And then Paul points out this. He says, though he was rich. Now, if you want an understatement in the Bible, that's got to be one, isn't it? Though he was rich. Though he was God and had everything. Though he was rich. And so I want to talk about his possessions. And if we do, he, he owns everything. And we could run through the scriptures and see that. Let me just share six of them with you quickly. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so all the earth. Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. All the, the animals are his. Leviticus 25, 23. The land is mine. Hey, God, 2, 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 18, 4. All souls are mine. Romans 14, 8, we are the Lord's. And we can look at several others, but everything is the Lord's. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord. And so not only his person, he's eternal God. Not only his possessions, he owns everything. Thirdly, his position, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, we considered last week that Jesus is the promised son of David who would come and uh, reign on the throne forever and ever king over every other king, lord over every other lord. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. So not only is he pre-existent before his coming, but he's preeminent over every other being, kings and lords. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. And then, since Jesus was God, we think about his power. The word we use to describe his power is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. There's a question in Genesis 18, 14 that says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, we can answer that, can't we, church? 
The answer is no. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 32, 17, nothing is too hard for you. Jesus said, what with man is impossible, uh, nothing is impossible with God. With, all things, all, with God, all things are possible. And so the reason is because he's all-powerful. The reason is because he's God. Now, I could add other things to the list to describe what Jesus possessed before he came to earth. He had the purity of heaven. He had the praise of heaven. He had the, the pleasures of heaven. He had all the things that were his in heaven. And although he had all those things, this verse says that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Poor. So that leads to the poverty of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean that he became poor? Well, listen, it, it's not talking about riches. It's not talking about money. The Son of God, Jesus, he, he wasn't concerned about acquiring riches on earth. No, when he stepped out of heaven, he, he, the incarnation, that, that's how he became poor. Uh, so Philippians 2, uh, let me just read 6 through 8. We're going to be talking about this Wednesday night if, if you want to come and learn a little bit more. But though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But here's what he did, verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in likeness of men, he came like us, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That, that's the poverty. So let me kind of summarize the poverty that Jesus took upon himself. First, he went from a place of purity to a place of pollution. When I talk about purity, when Isaiah, Isaiah 6, he sees this vision of heaven, and around the throne he sees these seraphim, and they have six wings that cover their face and their feet, and they... But they're crying, holy, 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 holy. That's their job. All day, every day, they cry, holy, holy, holy. That's where Jesus was. There's no impurity. There's no sin in heaven. God can't even look upon sin. And yet Jesus would step out of that, and he would come to a place of pollution. Romans 8, 3 says, he would be born in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful himself, but he was born like us. Can you imagine that first step? I mean, from the purity, the glory of heaven into the womb of a mother, and the next thing you know, he's in a feeding trough, and it just kind of goes downhill from there. Isaiah 53, if you want to turn over to Isaiah 3, we're going to look at a few of those verses this morning, but it kind of summarizes Jesus and his suffering Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so the one who was righteous, completely pure and sinless, would suffer for the unrighteous, like me and you. He, he would do that for us. And so Jesus came to sinful man and bore the punishment for sin. And so from purity to pollution. Secondly, from prosperity to poverty. Listen, the eternal Son of God had everything. And yet it says in, in Matthew 8, verse 20, that the Son of Man had no place to, to lay his head. He had nothing. So Joseph, his earthly father, was a carpenter in Nazareth. Mark 8 speaks of Jesus as the carpenter uh, from, from Nazareth. 
when he began his public ministry, though, it says that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. The reason he had no place to lay his head was because he left his home to go and take the gospel and to teach and to preach and to heal and to do all that he did. He left the comforts of home and went to share the good news. And then we see that Jesus went from peace to problems. Isaiah referred to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. When he was in heaven, he was the Prince of Peace. But when he comes to earth, Isaiah 53, 4 says, He bore our grief, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. There's no peace there, is it? None of that. He had none of that in heaven. But when he comes, he takes grief and sorrow upon himself. And then one more. He went from a place of praise to a place of persecution. We read about the praise from the angels and the serpents. When we get to the book of Revelation, we see another picture of the praise that is given to Jesus in heaven. But he found none of that on earth as a man. Back to Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. I mean, from the, the angels and the seraphims worshiping in heaven, he comes to earth, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Instead of praising him as the promised Messiah and the deliverer, people cried, crucify him, crucify him. And so they took our creator and Lord and they nailed him to a cross. That's all described in Isaiah 53. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And verse 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before his shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. He would endure all that for us. Listen, not only did Jesus make himself nothing by coming as a man, but uh, back to Philippians verse two, chapter 2, verse 8, he, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Uh, do you see what Jesus has done for us? He didn't just step out of heaven, come down and check it out. He came and lived a life of persecution, and he went to a cross. And, and so Paul says, though he was rich, though he had everything, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor. He emptied himself. He, he came all the way down. He all the way to death, even the most cruelest form of death, which is death on the cross. And so don't, don't miss this. Why would he do that? Paul says, for your sake. That's humbling, isn't it? For my sake, God would step out of heaven. And so as we celebrate Christ's coming, let's be reminded of the, I'm just going to call this the present the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you like to unwrap presents? Anybody? Oh, we got three people. <laughs> well, bring me your gifts. I'll unwrap them for you. But we, we enjoy that, don't we? Well, this morning we're going to see the greatest gift ever given by the greatest person who ever lived, and that gift was given to us by Jesus, and that gift is himself. And some of you will probably be in return lines next week, won't you? And you'll be making some exchange uh, we like opening the gifts. We hate, I hate the exchanges, don't you? But notice what Jesus, I want to point out a couple things that Jesus exchanged for us. First of all, he exchanged heaven for hell 
so that we might have hope. Heaven for hell so that we might have hope. Jesus left behind the glory of heaven and he took our sins. You remember on the cross where when Jesus became sin, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was at that moment that he was bearing the sins of, of the world. Listen, that was hell for him. To become sin, the one who had never sinned. To be separated from the Father. That was the worst thing imaginable, and yet Jesus would take that. Listen, I like to talk about grace and mercy, and, and mercy just means I don't get what I deserve. And, and here's what I know. As a sinner, what I deserve is hell. What I deserve, what you deserve for your sin and for my sin is hell. And yet God doesn't give me what I deserve. And yet, he's holy and just, and something had to be done about sin. And so he gave the punishment that I deserve to his son. And so, praise God today that Jesus took my hell for me. I love Revelation 1.18. Jesus says, I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys. <laughs> Jesus said, I went through all that, and I'm alive now, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Because of what Jesus has done for us, for our sakes, we see the hope that we have, so that at the end of verse 9, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I'm talking about eternally rich. Do you see it? Jesus exchanged heaven for hell so that we might have hope, the hope of eternal life. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And so you can be sure of this, that that God has provided a way for us to have the hope of eternal life. There's a poem called The Exchange by K. Peters. Listen to this. This is what Jesus exchanged for us. My rags for his riches, my gain for his loss, my joy for his sorrow, my forgiveness, his cross, my health for his sickness, my peace for his pain, my freedom for his bondage, my glory, his shame. My sin for salvation, abundant and free, he traded on Calvary. Oh, how can this be? That Christ from his heaven would stoop to my hell, would take all my sin debt and offer as well a home in his heaven and meaning on earth, and this in exchange for a heavenly rebirth. Such love, so amazing, abundant and free, compels me to offer some gift to my king. But what can I give to the maker of all when I am so poor and defiled by the fall? I'll give him those things that would have most effect. My love and my life are now his to direct. When we think about what Jesus did for us, man, who wouldn't want to give him your life and your love and, and really everything? If someone would love me that much, man, I'd, I want to give him everything. And so finally, lastly, let me just kind of reiterate this last point, but Christ exchanged riches for rags so that we could have his righteousness. Riches for rags so we could have his righteousness. If you're there in 2 Corinthians 8, turn, turn back to chapter 5. You're familiar with this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, for me, for you, he made him a new no sin. That's Jesus. He made Jesus to be sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I, I said this earlier. God gave Jesus something he never had. And you say, well, God has everything. Well, something he didn't have is sin. God gave Jesus something he never had. And that's sin. 
so that I could have something I never had, and that's righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. Listen, ransom means to, to pay a price to redeem someone, to, to purchase a slave. We, church, we were in bondage to our sin, and Christ came to provide a, a ransom. Now, some of your grandparents and others, sometimes you, you get something for your grandkids, or you get something for someone, and you love them so much, it, it's really a pleasure, even though it had a, a cost, you don't even think about the cost in light of, of what a privilege it is. Despite the agony and pain of the cross, it was a pleasure of Christ to give his life as a ransom. That always amazes me. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his day. Listen, some translation says it pleased the the Lord to crush him. In other words, it says, and I, it's hard to explain, it's hard to imagine that it pleased the Father to crush the Son because the Son was accomplishing His purpose, which is our redemption. Can you get that? That it pleased God to leave heaven, to be born of a woman, to endure persecution, to die on the cross so that He could Save you and me. Isn't that awesome? What a present. It pleased God to come to our rescue. First John 14, and this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God, God so loved us that He sent Jesus to pay a sacrifice for our sins. We, we do love God, but we love Him because He first loved us. And the truth is, God loved us so much that despite our sinfulness, that He would send His Son, and Jesus would come to redeem us. And listen, it, it, you think, well, it couldn't get any better. And it, not only was it His pleasure to redeem us and to set us free, and listen, Galatians 4, 7, and we'll look at this a little bit more next week, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Romans 8, 17, believers are heirs of God and fellow heirs uh, with Christ or joint heirs with Jesus. You ever thought about what that means? Well, what, a, what a gift. By his poverty, by Jesus giving up everything, we might become rich. And listen, church, this is not talking about your bank account. This is a, talking about something that's so much better. We are eternally rich. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Can you even fathom what that might mean? I can't explain what that means. 1 Peter 1 4 says we have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for. I mean, we think we, some of you may be doing good and you got this good retirement and all that stuff. He could turn around, but what Jesus has for us is imperishable, not fading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Now, some of you have probably already gotten together with your family. I've seen some pictures, and you already got some presents. And, but listen, some of you have never received the, the greatest present ever given, and that is the gift of salvation, eternal life, Jesus himself. And so you might say, well, preacher, what, is it, what does it mean? What, what happens when I receive the gift? Well, John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, 
talking about Jesus, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And so through faith, you can become a child of God. I, 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 just, I, I know it's Christmas time. I like to keep the message just as simple. Listen, God's our creator. There was nothing. God spoke. Everything came into existence. It was perfect. God gave man everything he needed, and yet we know that, that Satan said, deceived Adam and Eve and they sinned and sin messed everything up and we know God's holy and something had to be done about our sin and and so God had a solution even before time began God had a solution and he tells about it he tells us about it all the way back in the beginning that he was going to send a a, a seed a, an offspring of the woman who was going to come and take care of business and we know Jesus came and he was bruised and beaten and he died on the cross. He, he did all that for us. And so he took our sin and our iniquity and our transgressions and he died on the cross. And, and we know the story. He put him in a grave and on the third day he arose again. He, he's alive today, church. And his death provided for our redemption. And he offers the free gift of salvation. He offers to forgive us of our sins and bring us into his family. What a... What a perfect present. But we have to respond in faith. And so maybe you're here this morning, you've never received this. Listen, how do, how do you get it? You turn from your sins. That doesn't mean you're sinless, but you turn from your sins and you turn from trusting in yourself. You can't be good enough. You turn from that and you, in faith, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and you make him the Lord and Savior of your life. But as many as received him, that includes you, as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so this morning, I want to ask you, would you like to receive the forgiveness of your sins and, and be a part of the family of God? And so that's what I love about preaching. I get to tell people God has a gift for you. He offers it to you. It's the gift of eternal life. And uh, what a great day it is to be saved. I got this little poem I want to share with you before we close about this gift that, of Jesus. Would you bow your heads for just a moment and just think about this for a few moments. It says, He was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity. He had no wealth or influence and had neither training nor education in the world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course, course of nature. He walked upon the billows and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charges for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the world could not hold the books about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors have healed broken bodies. This is Jesus Christ, the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords, and the healer of all diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. Who is this Jesus? He is the eternal Son of God 
the source of everything, the solution for all of our problems, and the one and only Savior of all who believe in Him. And so, church, this morning we've unwrapped the greatest gift of Christmas. It's the gift of Jesus Christ. And I can say you've heard the greatest story about the greatest gift ever given, and, but it's only great if you've received it. And so I want to ask you this morning if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Would you like to make Jesus your Lord this morning? And he promises if you'll come, he'll in no wise cast you out. He invites you into the family this morning. And so listen, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that gift is offered to you today. Would you like to be saved this morning? Listen, Jesus would step out of heaven for your sake. Would you be willing to stand up this morning and make your way down front and love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus? Father, we pray this morning that if there's a single person in this room or even listening by live stream, if they've never trusted in Jesus, we pray that they would just have a better understanding of what you did for them. You enjoyed all of heaven, and you would derobe yourself of glory and come to earth to save sinners like me, like some in this room this morning. Oh, we talk about amazing grace. Or some's never experienced that grace. We want them to this morning. We want them to know the, the free offer of the gospel, to turn and believe and be saved, to come into your family. Lord, would you bring some into your family this morning? We'll celebrate. And Lord, some of us have been so busy that we've not even really thought about all that you did for us in coming. Forgive us of that. Lord, we pray that this morning you might call some to just commit their lives to you afresh. Maybe you have a particular area of service. Maybe you want someone to be a missionary, a teacher, a preacher. Lord, you're worth it. Father, maybe you want to add someone to our family, a church family this morning. We invite you to do that. Lord, we just want to take a few moments and praise you this morning. Though you were rich, for our sake, you became poor, that we might be rich eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand this morning and listen, if you've not received the gift, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that. And if you need to respond in some other way, we invite you to do that this morning.